for all those who feel called to build something bigger than themselves, but have no idea or representation as to how to bring it to pass. This podcast is for you. Let's figure it out together. Get ready. Let's build. Four, three, two, one. Everything that you've been through up until this point has helped you create your why. And when you have a strong why, nothing will stop you. Enjoy the Verizon ringback tone while your party is reached. Um, hello, this is Princeton. Ha <laughs> ha! Uh, it's so much fun doing that. It didn't take me long to come up with that, actually. Um, that's really funny. Shout out to any of y'all who had uh Verizon back when that was a thing. Hey, listen, there's still some people in my life, no shade to them, they're a little older that still have that. <laughs> and you could always tell, like, I don't know if you were like me, but you would judge people by what their Verizon ringback tone was. <laughs> like some uh some people you could tell they were they were like very deeply spiritual because you would go to theirs and it was I am not forgotten. I am not forgotten. I am not forgotten. God knows my name. You know, you'd be like, oh, look at them. You better go ahead and have God on your on your ring back. <laughs> and then you had some other ones. <laughs> anyway, you had some other ones and <laughs> Oh, man. What I'm doing right now is going in my head and, and figuring out how uh, deep I can go without being inappropriate. You had some that... <laughs> All right, I'll go this route. I'll go this route. This is like middle of the road. Like, it said Jesus, but it was really ratchet. So you'd be like, oh, I know. I know how you are. Like, their Verizon ring back was like, Jesus Christ had dread, so shake them. I ain't got none, but I plan on growing some. Anyway. <laughs> shout out to y'all bay area there was like there was like four of y'all that just heard this that just like started going crazy in your car much respect as a matter of fact you probably paused me just so that you could go listen to that more part to you just come back and listen to the rest of the episode please so yeah anyway that was fun hi this is princeton <laughs> your host for a building without a blueprint uh, i'm thankful to god for life and love and i'm thankful to you for listening hey i'm gonna bring you another sermon in this episode um and, and i don't know that i would call this a sermon outright this is a uh, more so like a teaching that i did and before i go into what it's about let me set up the scene for you um every last sunday of every month we have what's called the refreshing it is our youth and young adult service called the refreshing at our church crusade christian faith center we are located on 801 South La Brea in the city of Inglewood, California. Um, come and join us uh, the last Sunday of every month. Come and join us every Sunday, but the last Sunday of every month is uh, when we do our young adult service. Uh, as the young adult pastor there, I have primary uh, kind of preaching and teaching responsibility when we have those, and I direct our uh, young adult worship singing ensemble group <laughs> called VOR, Voices of Refreshing. That's at 1030. But we have a gathering at nine. And what I love is that the nine o'clock service is really like pastoral teaching. It is a group of people who really just want to go deeper in God and learn. And it's very, very, very communal. Um, the vibe is great. It's not churchy. It's like, hey, let's get together and let's talk about life. Let's unpack the scripture a little bit more. So on those Sundays, I have the responsibility of doing those nine o'clocks too. Our bishop does them every other Sunday. And he's phenomenal. And so on these, the reason why I say that is because you'll notice that on some of these, you know, my my tone is different. My approach is different because the aim is different. It, it's not so much preachy as in it is, hey, let's dig into real life and figure out through this, how can we gain principles that we can actually use to become closer to God and also healthier, more whole uh, human beings. And so in that conversation, I realized that in my own personal life, uh, I was exposed to faith very, very early, but I was kind of late to the emotional health conversation. 
And that's completely fine. You arrive when you arrive. But one of the things that I've learned is that my faith hadn't really taught me or prepared me how to deal with pain. That there was this real sort of um, kind of funky relationship between faith and pain, right? That typically, especially being Pentecostal, um, the understanding was that your faith was to get you to move beyond the pain or to avoid the pain with your faith, right? Like, I'm going to throw my pain away because I have faith. So if I lose a loved one, I just, I have faith. I have faith that I'm going to see him again. I have faith that they're in heaven. So don't cry. Or... I have faith that God's going to heal me, so don't address the pain of this illness. Or, you know, I have faith that somebody, that that God is all I need, so I'm not going to process the pain that comes from betrayal. And and that's just not healthy. And I'm going to take it a step further. That's not biblical. <laughs> that's not the way anybody dealt with, with pain who we look up to in the Bible. That's certainly not the way Jesus dealt with it. It's not the way any any writers of the Psalms dealt with it. So I set out on this message, on this teaching series that was in two parts. I released the first one and then the second called Productive Pain. Productive Pain. Because not only was there an adverse relationship between faith and pain, I think there was two different ones, right? There was, okay, yes, I'm not supposed to just completely just grab onto faith and not deal with pain. But the other piece was this. How do I know which pains are productive and which pains are abusive? Because the other thing I'm seeing is in our generation right now, because so many of us have grown up in context where we were hurt, we're pursuing things and theologies and ways of thought and spirituality and practice and relationships that just don't hurt. Like our way of healing is, I just don't want to hurt. But there is such a thing as productive pain, right? Pain that leads to something, but... So many of us have been through abusive pain that we just want to relieve ourselves of all pain in general. So the first part is about this. Is there such a thing as productive pain? And if so, what's the difference between that and abusive pain? And then what do you do with either or? And then in part two, we're going to deal with that faith and pain conversation, right? What is my role in my faith with this level of pain? So if you have ever wondered, if you're just curious about what's the difference between abusive pain or productive pain, I'll give you an example. If you've ever been hurt in a relationship, you've probably sat at one moment and said, is this something I'm supposed to work through? And we just get on the other side of it? Or is this something that's teaching me that this is probably not the right space for me? And how do you know? Because you're going to get advice from people all the time. And some people are going to be like, girl, sometimes you just got to go through stuff. That's all men. And then you're going to get some other folks that be like, girl, if I was you, you don't need to be doing that. You don't need to be, that is whack, like you need to whatever. And so how do we, in holding both of those perspectives together, what are some strategic tools that we can use to figure out what's productive versus abusive? And how can I have a healthy relationship with pain? That's the whole point of the two-part series is how can we as people of faith have healthy relationships with pain? Let's go into part one book of 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Book of 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. There is a word from the Lord for you today. Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm glad that I'm not by myself. If I was, wouldn't have made it this far. But thanks be unto God. That uh, not by myself. Second Corinthians four, and I'm going to look at three verses there: the sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth verse. Verse sixteen: For which cause we faint not? 
I love this. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed. How often? Day by day. I love this. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All right. Let's go back to verse 17. For our light affliction. Everybody say light affliction. For our light affliction, which is just for a moment. Somebody say it won't last forever. The light affliction worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For these minutes that I have you for, I want to teach and preach to you from the subject productive pain. Productive pain. Productive pain. If you are going to have, if we are going to have any sense or semblance of endurance in life, if we are going to live a whole and healthy life, if we are going to come into contact with the life abundantly promised to us by Jesus, we have to learn how to identify productive pain. One of the enemy's greatest strategies outside of deception to derail the Christian and the believer is pain. His desire is that in the process of my hurt, I would be convinced that serving God is no longer worth it. And even if I don't decide that serving God is not worth it, I might still be a believer, but I won't still be plugged into the life that God has called me to live. There are, in fact, many people who are Christ believers, but they are not whole. There are people who believe in Jesus, who have received the gift of the son, who believe in the blood, the death, burial and resurrection but have allowed themselves to stop living though they are alive. There are many people whose lives stopped at the point of their greatest pain. So in order for us to not just be saved, but to have life and that more abundantly, we must have a healthy framework for how to deal with pain. For me, one of the things that I've had to learn in my life is that uh, I had uh, a really, really, really robust understanding of how to deal with everything except pain. Typically, most of our unhealthy responses to pain could look like any one of the following few things. For some of us, our response to pain is that we just check out completely. Many of us are either that person or we have friends and family members. You can always tell when something's not right because they just stop talking to everybody. And you say, man, it's been a week and I haven't heard from so-and-so. Because one of our unhealthy responses to pain is isolation. I want you to write that down. One of the first unhealthy responses to pain is isolation. This is typical for folks who struggle with depression. This is typical for folks who are processing and struggling through grief, isolation. I don't want to talk to nobody. Just don't bother me, right? Another common unhealthy response to pain is sabotage. You ruined my life, so I'm now going to ruin something else, right? And sometimes it's not just I'm going to ruin something in someone else's life. I'm going to ruin something in my own life. Right? I'm going to self-sabotage. So the first unhealthy response to pain is isolation. The second is sabotage. 
So you start seeing people underperform, right? They went through pain in a relationship, and so now they start underperforming on their job. Well, if they didn't love me, why am I good enough for this job? And so they start to now be in a place where they're going to underperform at work because of an unhealthy response to pain. The first is isolation. You don't want to be around anyone. You don't want to be around anything. The danger with that is typically um, there is healing found in community, right? But we isolate because um, I don't know how to respond to this pain. The second is sabotage. The second is sabotage. The third is medication we find unhealthy forms of self-medicating. Medication. But, and, and I'll unpack this more in a little bit. What I want you to write as a side note to that is that usually this type of medication is for the purpose of numbness, not healing. Okay? Why don't you just write that as an addendum? The first is isolation. The second is sabotage. The third is medication, but not the kind that heals, the kind that makes you numb. I don't want to feel anymore. Okay? The fourth is rebellion. I am so hurt that I will now launch a violent attack against that which hurt me or anything that I felt like was a part of that. Now, of course, there are many more, but those are the four that I want to highlight today. It is isolation, sabotage, medication, and full rebellion. You can also typically look at these as a cycle. The devil begins with isolation, right? That isolation then, because you have no framework, no community to, uh, to support you and to keep you grounded in the midst of your pain, then turns into sabotage. That sabotage now, because you're looking at all these things that create more hurt, right? Because now it started off as one pain, but now I've allowed that to make me make bad decisions and it's causing these other areas of pain to mount up. Now I must medicate the fact that I'm three times as hurt now as I was when the original pain hit. But now because everything seems like a web that has gotten out of control, out of anger and disillusionment, turn into rebellion. And what can happen is, without a healthy framework for how to deal with pain, one small incident can turn into an entire life led out of God's will. Can I say that again? The importance of believers having a healthy framework for pain is that one small incident can turn into an entire life lost or an entire life led outside of the will of God. For me, I've shared much uh, about my testimony as it relates to many things, as it relates to grief and as it relates to being a a child in ministry. And I've unpacked uh, and, and shared a lot about that experience with pornography. But I was unaware about the linkage between that and an unhealthy framework for pain. Typically, it was not that there was some sort of unique or profound enjoyment or pleasure, but rather that pornography allowed for there to be a sort of numbingness. It allowed for there to be a place where for one second, I didn't have to be anything. Where the pain of responsibility, the pain of pressure, the pain of inadequacies didn't exist for two seconds. The problem was after engaging with it, I would lead a life the next day of shame that shame would make me isolate more, which would start the cycle all over again. Herein is how the devil keeps us in a place where we are not whole enough to pursue the will of God. The purpose of this message is to equip you so that you do not run from pain but so that you can deal with it in a healthy way 
so that it does not stop you from living a healthy and whole life. Everybody with me so far? In order for us to unpack what productive pain is, and in order for us to talk about how to be productive in and through pain, we must first unpack the difference between productive pain and abusive pain. We must unpack the difference between productive pain and abusive pain. Everybody say productive pain and abusive pain. Okay. All pain is not created equal. And when I say that, I'm not just referring to the extent to which something hurts. I'm saying that not all pain necessarily is just something that we should engage in. It is important to say that because we're going to unpack in just a second how even Jesus knew that there was some pain that he was supposed to stick through and there were other pains that he was supposed to make peace with and move on. Does that make sense so far? I want you to start by taking that down as a note. Productive pain, you do two things with. You process it and you endure it. If it's productive pain, you process it and you endure it. But if it is an abusive pain, then you set boundaries around it and you depart from it. It is important for me to share this because this is not a doctrine for you to stay in things that kill you. How do we know this? Because the Bible says, how do we know that there's such a thing as productive pain versus abusive pain, right? I want you to go with me very quickly because it's important that all of this is based upon scripture or else I'm not doing anything different than being a motivational speaker. Go with me to John 10 and 10, John 10 and 10, okay? I want to show you how all this is taken from scripture and then I want to spend some time in our text for today. John 10 and 10. Jesus says, and we've all heard and read the scripture before, right? He says, the thief cometh not, but to what? Steal and to do what? And to kill and to destroy. He says, but I am come that what? Uh Uh-huh. And that they might have it more abundantly, right? So Jesus in his conversation automatically puts a dividing line between his purpose and the enemy's purpose. That is the basis of understanding what is an abusive pain versus a productive pain. Okay? Take it straight from the word, and then I'll, I'll unpack this more for you practically. Very simply, right? Even before I go into the rest of this, just according to the text, Jesus' words, right? Abusive pains, all you get out of an abusive pain is what? Something stolen from you? You end up killed, parts of you killed, or destroyed. But on the other side of productive pain is what? Life. If there is not some sense of power of life or a better quality of life or a more holistic opportunity for life on the other end of the pain, then it might be an abusive pain. I must endure that which has life on the other end of it. I must separate myself from that where the only purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. Does that make sense? One. Well, before we get into more of this difference, a mentor of mine, uh, Dr. Hosea Collins, taught me this definition about abuse that I want to share with you. And he got this definition from Dr. Miles Monroe. Abuse, simply put, is abnormal use. Abnormal use. Abuse. Abnormal use. Dr. Miles Monroe would put it this way. Wherever purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Okay? That's from Dr. Miles Monroe. Wherever purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. So if I were to take this microphone and I were to look on the stage and see that there was a a nail 
that wasn't fully dri- or, or hammered down into the stage and I were to take this microphone and, and just start whacking away at it. Even though it might get the screw effectively into the stage, I have abused the microphone because I have used it for a purpose it was not created for. Everybody get that? This is why we don't give steak knives to babies. Because they are not at the place of maturity where they understand the purpose for which that knife was created. And when you don't know the purpose of a thing, you will harm yourself and others. It is important to say this because when we hear abuse, we automatically think physical violence. But abuse is not always physical violence. It is wherever I am using something for something other than the purpose it was created for. Now that we've unpacked that definition, let's talk about the difference between abusive pain and productive pain. Abusive pain is always a dead end. Write that down. Abusive pain is always a dead end. Productive pain always has a turning point or some direction to it. Abusive pain is always a dead end. Productive pain always has a turning point or some direction. Abusive pain always has a dead end, so it goes in cycles. Abusive pain will have you making the same decisions with the same outcomes, with the same people, and the same situation, and you look up four, five, six, seven, eight years later like, how am I still at the same place? It's because you stayed in a pain that you should have set boundaries around. This is true of relationships. This could be true of a job situation. Well, I mean, we might as well. This could be true of being in the wrong church. That instead of building people up and making them strong in the faith, it's trying to manipulate people so that they can get what they want out of them. Abusive pain always has a dead end. There, there, there is a point where growth stops. If, if you're looking at your life wanting to see whether or not a particular pain was abusive or productive, Sometimes it helps not to look at the pain, but assess your growth. And if there was no growth, perhaps it's because the pain was never a conducive environment for growth. Because it was an abusive pain. Much study has been done in psychology around abuse cycles, right? Typically in an abusive relationship, the abusive partner makes it seem like they are your lifeline. They make it seem like they are all you have and that it would be best for you to stay with them. There's typically alienation. This is why we advise people to be careful that there are even certain religions and cults where the beginning of their theology is this sort of isolation from everything you've ever known. We are your only this and that, right? Um, that is a pattern. It is one of the high, high... Uh, most recurring traits of abuse, right? This begins, I want to alienate you from everything that you had and were before. I want to become your everything. Uh, you trust everything that I say about the word or whatever we believe, right? Um, and so anything that puts you into that place where it is a dead end um, is an abusive pain. But productive pain always has a turning point or some direction. It, it, it always has a turning point, a direction. There, there is always something about it that allows you to be pushed forward. Number two, in keeping with that, abusive pain never has results. Abusive pain never has results. It amazes me, right? And I'll just use relationships as an example, typically because this is where we have this conversation the most. It amazes me how you could stay in an abusive situation and the abusive partner be promising y'all gonna get married and you look up 10 years later and y'all still ain't married because abusive pain never has results no matter what was promised there is never anything made good on a promise it's how you tell an abusive pain right if you're in a context a situation an organization whatever and they're always asking for money and you ain't Never seen one purchase, right? Many of us grew up in contexts like this, where you had a building fund for 40 years, and the air conditioning still don't work. 
I, I need to see even something. You know, I understand that things take time. We might not be ready to, to, to buy our own plot of land, but I'd, I'd like to see something, you know. Give me a new coat of paint. Give, give me something to know that my $20 I give you is, is being used for something, right? Same thing. It's an abusive pain. One of the things that I was most fascinated of was uh, I recently watched a documentary on Netflix about what was called the Fire Festival, F-Y-R-E. And uh, I laughed so hard. There was, I, was, I, was, I got mad in two points of it, but, but I laughed because there were people spending thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars off of a promise. And the people who were curating this music festival had secured an island that didn't even have plumbing. And they were promising people this luxury music festival, right? But here's how you know it was an abuse of pain. Because they kept asking these people for more money because they didn't have enough money to, to buy off what they had promised, right? But they were not giving any updates preparing them for what they had promised. So they were sending the people who had purchased tickets emails to say, hey, spend some more money on this, buy some more money on this. But they were not sending the emails to say, hey, so when you arrive, this person will be here to pick you up and this is where you'll be staying and here's how you, right? That's an abusive pain. There is no or there are no results. Whereas productive pain hurts temporarily. But then you see fruit from it. Productive pain hurts for now. But then you will see fruit from it. Three. Abusive pain has no explanation. Beware of situations or relationships or contexts where the only response is because I said so. I think the only person who gets that leverage is God. Abusive pain has no explanation. When people can't teach you and ground you, because it's not just about rules. It's, it's not just about, hey, do this, do that. If I'm really concerned about your maturity, I will help prepare you as to why and what this is doing. For example, I don't want to go, and my greatest example for, for this whole thing, right, is abusive pain is if you just... Go get beat up, right? If, if there's three people just jump you, that's an abusive pain. There, there is no explanation to that. There is no fruit that will come from you just get beat up. But if anybody has ever had something broken in your body or gone through like a knee replacement or anything like that, that pain could feel the same. But when you go to your physical therapist, it's a productive pain when they start telling you to stretch that out. But one of the ways you know is that when you are in that place with the physical therapist, they're going to give you an explanation as to why you stretching this out is going to be in the best interest for your healing. Right? It's not just a stretch out. It's going to be like, look, I know this is about to hurt. I know each one is going, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to commit to this for me. You can't skip the pain. But there will be an explanation. They will say, hey, listen, when you stretch this out, the tendons here, and this is going to connect, it's going to allow more life, right? Because abusive pain has no explanation. But productive pain has nothing to hide. Abusive pain has no explanation. Sorry, let me not mix those two up. Abusive pain has no explanation, but productive pain has a purpose to it even if you can't see it at first. Now, number four, abusive pain is not transparent. There we go. Abusive pain is not transparent. Anytime you're in a context where there's just so much hiddenness, you ever worked for a place? One of, one of my uh, family members shares this story with me all the time about how they were working for a city at that point in time and there was a day where uh, FBI showed up. Quite a few folks got arrested, right? But before that, person helped me understand the culture of that office before the FBI showed up. 
And the culture of the office was, that was just a lot of stuff you just didn't know. There was a lot of stuff that just wasn't transparent. And you would look at it and side-eye some stuff, but then just be like, I, you know, I, I guess that's just what we do around here. I guess that's, you know. Many corporations have done this. Many relationships, many institutions have done this. Where nothing's transparent. You don't know how people get moved in positions. You don't know how money's spent. You don't know how decisions are made. It's weird how folks don't keep track of stuff. It's like, shouldn't we get this in writing? No, don't worry about that. We have a verbal agreement. Hold on, folks. How are we about to do business at a, at a company? How are we about to do city work on a verbal agreement? Before the FBI showed up, there was a culture of abusive pain. Because abusive pain is not transparent. One of the first things that tells me that you don't feel comfortable with what you're doing is your lack of transparency when doing it. My mom used to bust me out with this all the time. She'd be like, if you got to hide it, it means you know you shouldn't be doing it. She was right. She was right. Productive pain explains itself. Because productive pain has nothing to hide. Productive pain says, yeah, this is about to hurt, but it's going to hurt for your good. So we ain't got nothing to hide. This going to hurt. <laughs> Last but not least, the goal of abusive pain, back to John 10 and 10, is your emptiness. But the goal of productive pain, back to John 10 and 10, is your fullness. Before our time wraps up, let me give you a few examples, all right? Let's make the word become flesh to us. Example. Abusive pain. Shame. Shame never helps you become better. It just leaves you empty, feeling bad about yourself. Shame is an abusive pain. All the things I just listed, that's what shame does. Productive pain, accountability, honesty. They both still hurt. It hurts to be honest about what you've done wrong or where you are not. But shame is about emptiness. It's about who you are not. It is about you did it. This is all you're going to ever do or become. But the productive pain of honesty and accountability is, hey, I know that I am more than this. That this mistake, though it hurts that I just made that mistake, it's not all that I am. And so there is a certain healthy amount of being able to have that beginning guilt of, ah, oh, man, I'm, I'm so mad that I did that. But the productive pain of going through to be accountable, to be honest with somebody that you made that mistake, to uh, submit yourself to accountability to do better, that's a productive pain. They both hurt. But one leads to your emptiness. The other one leads to you becoming whole. In abusive pain. Sacrifice in a relationship. I'm talking specifically in this context about uh, different multi-layers of relationship. We can look at this from a romantic relationship standpoint. We can look at this even in certain family contexts. Abusive pain. Sacrifice in a relationship with no return. Where it becomes martyrdom where somebody has now shown that they are taking advantage of your efforts without any accountability for their actions, right? How many times have we struggled with feeling like because we were Christian, we had to just keep sacrificing and providing in contexts where people were not choosing to take responsibility and ownership over their own lives, right? And, and what happens is, we end up becoming enablers. But it really began um, under this false notion of, of this sort of martyrdom, right? Many of us, here's another way it plays out. Many of us go into relationships thinking it's our responsibility to save someone. And if you're in a relationship to save your partner, it's not a co-equal partnership. And what's going to happen over time is you're going to resent them because they're not able to meet your needs. But at that point, it will not have been their fault. It will be yours because you submitted yourself to an abusive pain. Sacrifice in a relationship with no return. Productive pain. 
Sacrifice in a relationship with reciprocity. Now, here's what I love. Sacrifice was in both of them. So you cannot look at any relationship that involves sacrifice and say, that's an abusive pain. Nope. (laughs) Because God is very clear in his word that part of the measurement of, of the way that we live out love in this present context will involve sacrifice. There's a lot of language in the word about bearing one another's burdens. There's, there's a lot of language in the word about if one is overtaken in a fault, then you which are spiritual restore such a one in love, right? So, so sacrifice is not the measure of whether it is an abusive pain or not. It is more so me looking at what is the reciprocity in this situation? What is the accountability in this situation, right? I could go on and on. But I want to show you in the life of Jesus how he responded to both, all right? I want to show you how Jesus responded to both. Everybody go with me. Everybody do this. Go with me to Matthew chapter 13. Before our time is up, I want to show you in the life of Jesus, how did he live this out? Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 54. Are you being blessed so far? Matthew 13, 54. Bible says this. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. Insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So how does he all these things? How does he do all these things? How do you know this? Verse 57. And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. Watch this. Well, let's start and let's stop there. And I'll come back to verse 58. The pain was this. The Bible says Jesus wanted to honor his hometown by bringing the full extent of who he was to them. But instead of them observing who he was and worshiping him, they became offended because he was one of them, but his assignment was bigger than them. So they became frustrated and their response was that they mocked him. So Jesus had the pain of being mocked by those, watch this, who should have been the first to recognize it. Godly, my God. The pain of reconciling the fact, I grew up with y'all, meaning that if anybody was going to see the anointing on my life, it should have been y'all. But they mocked him. The pain of being mocked, the pain of not being seen, the pain of having uh, his own context, not believe in him. And so what was his response? Verse 58. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Abusive pain. In that, right, not violently abusive, they wasn't beating up on him. But because you don't know the purpose for which I came, I would be wasting virtue on those who could have had first access to the promise. So Jesus teaches us that from an abusive pain context, remember, how do we respond to abusive pain? You set boundaries around it and you move on. He made peace with the fact I would love for y'all to see it. I would love for you all to know who I would love for you all to see me as the Messiah. But I'm not about to argue with you. Watch this. I'm not going to live thinking I have to prove myself. Watch this. Because there are going to be people who don't know I exist yet. That are going to believe in me. Imagine... How many people would have missed the virtue of Jesus 
had he lived in that cycle of trying to prove himself in the abusive pain of his hometown. Watch this. I wonder how many other prophets got trapped in the cycle of trying to prove themselves. How, how many other great lights had that hometown snuffed out? Abusive pain. There's no productivity here. There's no transparency here. There's no healing. There's no wholeness. There's no end goal to this. Y'all just mad. <laughs> and if I stay in this, woe to me. Woe to me. Not you, because you can only see what you can see at this point. Watch this. And when you are whole, you will realize the, oh my word. When you are whole, you will realize the grace in saying goodbye. When you are whole, you will realize the grace in saying goodbye. Jesus is like, it ain't forever because I'm about to die for you too, whether you know it or not. Just at this moment in time, this is an abusive cycle. You're not going to believe in me. I'm going to try to prove myself. You're still not going to believe because it's not that I'm not God. It's that you don't want me to be God. And so that's never going to be productive. Let me show you something else before my time is up. That is how Jesus responds to an abusive pain. Go to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. Verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Watch verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Watch this. Who for the joy that was set before him, productive pain, right? Who for the joy that was set before him. On the other end of the pain was a joy. So because there was joy set before him, because there was a goal set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame. He was able to put a separation between what he would have to go through and his long-term understanding. This is why our text in 2 Corinthians is relevant. Because it says, our light affliction, but for a moment, produces for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Because I am aware that this is producing for me something stronger, I'm able to endure. Somebody shout endure. I am able to endure my present context. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that I don't dread it at certain moments, but it means I don't run from it because I realize it is working for me a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For the joy that was set before him, endure the cross despising the shame and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God let me show you something else and I'm going to be done Matthew 16 Matthew 16 Matthew 16 verse 20 then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ verse 21 from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Here's what I think is so powerful about that. The cross was painful, but it was a productive pain. The cross was the greatest pain that anybody could ever experience. But it was a productive pain. So productive that Jesus said, I gotta go through this. And Peter said, No, ain't nobody about to let you die. Not my, not my Jesus, not my squad. And it was interesting that Jesus said, Get thee behind me, Satan. 
Why? Because he said, I know it's a pain, but the fate of the entire world rests on my ability to endure this pain. When you have a healthy understanding of abusive pain, you say no. And when you have a healthy understanding of productive pain, you say it hurts. But I won't let anybody talk me out of it. I don't want to have to go through it. These, these are conversations that hurt to have. This is working out gets on my nerves and, 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 and eating right. And you know, the, the, the pain of, of having to deal with situations and, and relationships and, and the pain of, of being on certain jobs, the pain of, of whatever it might be. But first, I want you to spend time ascertaining the pain that I'm experiencing, is it abusive or productive? If it's abusive, then allow God to work on your heart that you might find the strength to set boundaries around it so that it doesn't steal the life abundantly that Jesus promised. If it's a productive pain, stop running from it. Stop numbing yourself and make a decision that my wholeness is so worth it that I will stand flat-footed and anybody that tries to convince me out of it, I will say, get thee behind me, Satan. You want me in the kind of pain that's going to kill me. Oh, but I won't let you convince me out of the kind of pain that will strengthen me. I have way more to give you, so if you allow me, I'm going to do this as a part two next month. Because, I'll leave you with this, sometimes you don't know right away whether it's an abusive pain or a productive pain. Sometimes it's just pain. So part two of this is, I'm going to teach you something I've learned in this last season of my life, which is how you can be productive even when you don't know whether your pain is or not. Does that make sense? I'm going to teach you next month how you can still be productive even if you don't know yet whether or not your pain is productive. Sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes it just hurts. Sometimes it's just a pain in your body. You don't know it's cancer yet. Your stomach just hurts. Sometimes it's just a toothache. I don't know this infected. It just hurts. And so how can I, when I don't know, when, when, when I haven't gone through enough to really get my head around it, how can we still make sure that the pain doesn't cause us to not live life abundantly? Everybody standing, let me pray for you before I go. Have you been blessed this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you that there is no temptation which has taken us except that which is common to man. But Lord, you are faithful that with every temptation you have prepared a way of escape that we might be able to bear it. So here we are. We're all going through pain in one form or another. Oh, yes, Lord. But I declare that our lives shall not be ended by the pain we're experiencing. I declare that the people who are here will not be thwarted. They will not be stopped by the pain. I thank you that dreams will not be stopped because of it visions and career aspirations, healthy relationships, moving on into graduating and trying new business ventures. Whoa, yes, Lord. I thank you that ministry will not be, whoa, yes, Lord. I don't know who, whoa. Oh my God. I don't know who that's for, but you stopped in ministry at the point of your last pain. There is something God called you to do. And, and before you got hurt, you were going full throttle towards it. But at that last pain, you stopped in ministry. There was an offense. There was some, there was some sort of something that stopped you and you were going full throttle. You had just identified the call on your life and then you got hurt and you stopped. I, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I free you. Oh, yes, Lord. I free you to arise back up again in ministry. To say yes to God once again in the name of Jesus. I bless your holy name for it now. Father, I thank you that ministry shall still go forth. The anointing shall still be present. I thank you that we will be able to embrace that which is productive pain. 
Yes, it will be difficult, but we will, we will find that, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that because it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, that we will endure as Jesus endured because he is the author and finisher of our faith. So God, we thank you. We give you glory. We give you honor and praise. And now we thank you that you are the God that heals. We thank you that you are the God that heals and that you are he that came that we might have life and that more abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love that word so much. Um, I'm still in the process of living that word and processing it and, and growing into it. The main difference is this. Productive pain comes to give you life. Abusive pain comes to take from you and eventually lead you to some type of death, an emotional death, a spiritual death, death of an opportunity, death of a career, right? And I think we have to, I think some of these phrases are good, right? You know, the whole everything happens for a reason, like, you know, you can learn from it. Like, yes, absolutely. But if we don't start just being a little bit more nuanced in the discussions that we have around pain, we'll have people staying in stuff that's never going to benefit them. That's never going to benefit them. That's never going to change. That's never going to bring life. And then we'll have people running away from the pain that they need to go through in order to grow into the person that they need to be. And the example I use, the recovery example, you know, about uh, about the leg and kind of the, the pain of physical therapy. But let me go the emotional route. Right. The first time you really commit to starting to heal from your trauma, the very first step is going to be having to relive it again. Like when you're in therapy and you're telling the story for the first time, like and you are finally, you know, being open about the fact that your father was not in your life. That trauma is going to bring back those emotions, right? The same thing when you're sitting on on the couch in therapy talking about sexual assault for the first time, the, the weight and the triggers of identifying there are so many people who have lived through sexual assault who either because of fear, because of threats, because of the abuser or because of the society that they were socialized into, whether that was in academia or in a religious space or whatever, experienced sexual assault and have never called it that have never called rape rape i was talking to somebody very 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 close to me about this a, a few months ago where the person was expressing to me like it it took me x amount of time to be able to call it assault to be able to call it rape like that was not consensual when you when you start to deal with that for the first time it's going to bring all that again but the difference is when it originally happened that was to kill you that was an abusive pain it was to take from you. But now in reliving it, the goal is so that you can process it so that it doesn't become this weight that holds you, your identity and your ability to move freely into the next season of your life back. Right. Same pain. Same pain or images of the pain, but their purposes are different. And so the difference between productive pain and abusive pain is the purpose. You got to drill down like, why is this in my life? So that you can discern which types of pains you got to walk away from and which type of pains you got to nail down and be like, this going to hurt, but I got to do it so that I can recover. Jesus came that we might have life and watch this and life more abundantly, right? Life and a particular quality of it, if that makes any sense. So again, this is where it ends is sometimes you won't be able to tell. So how can you be productive even when you don't know if your pain is productive or not? And that's where we're going to pick up next time. Until next time, I love you so much. I thank you for listening. Um, reach out to me. Let me know if this helped you. Follow me on Instagram at Princeton Parker, on Facebook at Princeton Speaks. Um, check us out at PrincetonParker.com. And last but not least, like and subscribe to the podcast. I want to hear from you. Uh, productive pain versus abusive pain. My prayer for you. Um, is that you would walk away from abusive pains and understand that you deserve more, that God did not call you to endure abusive pain in the name of faith. Let's clear that up. Ooh, I felt that up in me. I was really about to end this and then I got mad. <laughs> God did not call you to endure abusive pain for the sake of faith 
or for you to appear more noble or loyal or any of that crap that we get fed. That is not God. But he did call you to trust him enough to move through productive pain because on the other end of it is going to be a stronger, more whole you that brings God the glory that God is due. So love you so much with God as your foundation and purpose as your motivation. Keep building family.